Our text this evening is from uh, Luke chapter 14. And uh, it's a familiar story, I think, probably to most of us. Uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master and then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Father, we ask this evening that you would speak to us from your word and that it would make a difference in our lives, that we would be different because we were here with you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it, it's an interesting thing to me to observe the gospel call uh, going forth and to watch people respond to it, either one way or the other. Um, to speak the words of life to another person and tell them that they are in a lost condition, they are without hope and without God in the world, and then to point them to Christ and to point them to his cross and to bid them to come and be reconciled with God, not on their own terms, but on his and then to watch as they digest what you've said to them and decide what they're going to do with it. It's high drama. It's uh, the unique pleasure and the unique tension that belongs to every Christian who obeys the Lord and shares the gospel with others. In today's passage, the Lord Jesus is at a dinner party, and we're kind of picking up in the middle of that story. And the party is taking place at the home of a Pharisee, and it is not a pleasant dinner. These Pharisees, these rulers of Israel, are testing Jesus. They are evaluating him critically. It's the Sabbath, and they intentionally invited a man who was ill, 
and placed him in a prominent position to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath, which he did. They thought that was forbidden. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, told them that they were wrong, and they don't like being told that they're wrong, and they're not happy. And then he observes all the jockeying that's going on as they try and choose the seats of honor for themselves, and they squabble over them like a flock of blue jays at a bird feeder. And he remarks on that, and he remarks on the pride that it represents. And he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then he exposes the self-seeking nature of their hospitality, inviting only those who will reciprocate and only entertaining those who can benefit them socially. And he says, try something different. Try inviting the outcasts, the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. Let God repay what they cannot. Well, as you can imagine, this was not a happy and relaxed environment. Things were pretty tense. The Pharisees had invited this man, this homeless riffraff named Jesus, in order to evaluate him, and instead they find him evaluating them. And they find that they are failing that evaluation. And then somebody pipes up and said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. Now, scholars are divided on why this fellow did this. Perhaps this was the first century equivalent of, How about those browns? You know, a saying designed to cut the tension and change the subject. Perhaps it was a genuine expression of this man's heart. It doesn't matter. Jesus seizes on that theme of eating bread in the kingdom of heaven, and he uses it as the occasion to tell a parable about that heavenly banquet. And he says, a man once gave a banquet. Now, in this parable, the man who gave the banquet is God Almighty. The guests in this particular parable are the Jews, the visible people of God, those who claimed to be those who belong to God simply by right of birth. And the banquet is the heavenly kingdom. Jesus says, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come, everything is ready. Now, we need to bridge a little bit of a cultural gap here. In those days, the custom was to send out servants with an invitation to a banquet or a feast well in advance. The date was set, and the numbers of guests were ascertained. And when the banquet then was ready at some later date, the servants were sent out again to fetch the guests who were already committed to come. So this is phase two that we're studying here. Phase one has already happened. The, the master has, has sent out the servants to announce the banquet and to invite the guests. And the guests have all said yes. And now some time has lapsed. And the master sends the servants out again. And that's what happens. The servants go out to let the guests know. Many were invited, says Jesus. Many indicated that they would come. And that's how things are today, isn't it? Many are invited to come. The doors of heaven are flung wide open. The Bible says, whosoever will may come. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17, it says, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. 
you can come if you want to. And many profess a desire to go to heaven. Most do. The vast majority. As a hospice chaplain, I rarely ran into anybody that said, no, my plan is to go to hell. That's what I want to do. Do you want to go to heaven when you die? The master servants say. And the many say, sure, sign me up. Sounds like a good deal. But when it's time to actually attend the banquet, when it's time to enter into the master's presence, the most astonishing excuses are offered. They all alike began to make excuses, says verse 18. One of them says, I have just bought a field and I need to go out and see it. Now, who buys land, sight unseen? It's silly, and it's a, a foolish excuse, especially productive agricultural ground. You want to know exactly what you're getting. You go and look at that before you make your offer, so you know how much to offer. And even if one were foolhardy enough to buy a field without laying eyes on it, what does the delay caused by attending a nice dinner really cost him? The field will still be there in the morning, whether it was a good bargain or a bad one. There's a second fellow, and he has a similar excuse. He said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to examine them. I'm going to give them a test drive. I'm going to run them in and see how they do. This fellow has bought the equivalent of a brand new tractor, and he wants to try it out. And once again, who does this? Who purchases some large thing without testing it out before payment is made? And once again, if you are that foolhardy, Will a night's entertainment and fine dining really prove to be such a hindrance or a loss? The third fellow says, I recently got married, so I cannot come. Now, the text does not indicate that he was on his honeymoon, and so he was away in Mexico with his bride. Marriages were not sudden things in those days, and he had previously accepted the invitation, knowing all about the timing of his own wedding and the timing of the banquet. And once again... Leaving his wife at home for one night was not wrong. What he says is, I cannot. What he means is, I will not. Now, I notice several things. First thing I notice is that those things that get in the way of accepting the free offer of the gospel are small things. They're little things. They're things of no lasting importance. In his sermon, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis said, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the promises of the rewards rather promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. It would have been better to say, I am invited to eat bread in the kingdom of God, therefore I should seek to be excused from these other appointments to see the land and the oxen and to hang out with my wife for a night. The second thing I notice is that these are all lawful things. They're not evil things. They're all good things in their place. In and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with fields or oxen or marriage or other relationships. 
But when our hearts are set too much upon them, they become hindrances and they become stumbling blocks. It's a question of putting first things first. To be distracted from the gospel call by some worldly trinket is like forgetting to call 911 when your house is on fire because you found a quarter on the sidewalk and you're really excited about that quarter you found on the sidewalk. In the meantime, the house is going up in flames behind you. What does it profit a man, asked the Lord, to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? So the servants, astonished, come and report these things to the master, and the master becomes very angry. His gracious offer has been spurned. Go out quickly, he says. Go out and comb the streets of the city. Go and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Now, in that day and in that context, the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame were considered forgotten by God accursed by God, sometimes even unclean. That's us, Gentiles. Now keep in mind that this is not some sort of left-wing social gospel nonsense about charity to the poor and income redistribution. This banquet isn't something put on by the Salvation Army at Thanksgiving or the homeless shelter at Christmas. Jesus is not saying here that God likes poor people more than he likes rich people. The emphasis is on the spiritual. In physical terms, who is more likely to appreciate a nice dinner? Someone who doesn't get much to eat and who is genuinely hungry, or someone who eats very well every day and who can take it or leave it? Well, the hungry person, obviously. And if we were to ask ourselves the spiritual corollary, who is most likely to respond to the gospel call? Who is going to respond to the offer of forgiveness of sin and of release from guilt, of healing and wholeness and life everlasting, full of joy and abundance? Someone who thinks they're mostly just fine like they are now? Or someone who knows themselves to be spiritually poor, spiritually blind, spiritually crippled, and spiritually lame? All who desire the gospel feast are rounded up, and they're brought to the banquet. But in the master's overflowing fullness and overflowing generosity, there is still room. There is an abundance of food. Uh, I, uh, I have been told by my wife that I cook too much when it's time to entertain people at our house, and I, I did that again uh, this weekend. I, I made a Super Bowl party for 100, and 10 showed up. And uh, so we have all kinds of chicken wings on the freezer and, and cheese and all these things like that. There's lots left over. There was more room at the banquet. And that's how it is at this banquet. And so the master sends his servant out to the highways and the hedgerows to find those who could still come to the banquet. Compel them to come in, he cries, not with weapons drawn and force of arms, but with sweet persuasion and gospel invitation. Say to them, you think you're too dirty to attend such a banquet, and so you are. But the master will wash you and will make you clean. You have nothing to wear but filthy rags? Well, that's true. Come, and the master will give you a new white robe that will never spot or wrinkle or stain and will never wear out. You have no shoes to wear? 
the master will provide you with the finest shoes so that you may walk on streets of gold. Compel them to come in. The master wants all of those who want to come. Let his house be filled with the rabble and the riffraff who know themselves to be rabble and riffraff and who would be transformed by him from riffraff into royalty at this great banquet. But he has a hard word for those who refuse to come, who have been too distracted to bother. They have been invited They have refused the invitation, and the pronouncement is plain. None of those who were invited shall taste my banquet. Spiritually speaking, they shall starve. When the playthings and the distractions are all gone, when the idolatrous relationships have borne their bitter fruit, when a man or a woman stands naked before the God with whom we all have to do, what excuse will they give? I was too busy to accept your invitation. I was too distracted. I didn't understand how important it was at the time. I was too absorbed in my work, in my hobbies, in my family. I thought I didn't need to come. I I thought it would be all right. I, I didn't think it would make you angry. I thought I could always come later. Next week, tomorrow, next year. And what of you, you servants of the master? For you have a dual role. You are both a servant and a guest at the banquet. Are you faithfully? Are you serving your master? Are you obeying your master? Are you searching the highways and the hedgerows? Are you entreating those you find earnestly to come and taste the heavenly fare? There's a wonderful old hymn. I believe it's by Isaac Watts. It's called How Sweet and Awesome is the Place, or the older title is How Sweet and Awful is the Place. And there's one stanza in there that I just absolutely love, and it's based exactly on this parable. And the hymn goes... Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? You have only one life, which will soon be passed, and only what's done for Jesus will last.